Let me now invite your attention to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll um, finish up our study of the book of Hebrews, uh, do so, Lord willing, in the next six weeks. So um, six more sermons in Hebrews, and we'll be done. Before I read my text, there's just two things that I want to, somewhat, I guess you would call announce. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as the result of the actions of a few, um, a message has been gotten um, whether intended or unintended, um, the message has been gotten by veterans that their sacrifice and their work was uh, at least devalued. The one place that we don't want you to ever have that doubt or fear is in your church home, in your church family. That Veterans Day event that uh, Chris mentioned uh, on the 8th, um, it's, a, it's a good event. But it is, um, it is prompted by, it is motivated by an interest in communicating, communicating to people who have um, represented us so well and sacrificed so much, are so valued and appreciated. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. You can sign up out in the lobby. Here's the other thing. Um, October the 1st, that's what today is. And um, I mean, the church has really kind of erupted uh, if, you're, if you're online with with um, any kind of uh, Christian blogs or whatever, because you know that this is the 500th year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So there's all kinds of things that are coming through, and, and, and um, you know, there are going to be 31 days of this, that, and the other by Desiring God, 31 days by Ligonier Ministries. There's, there's, just, um, there's just some rich stuff out there concerning the celebration of this 500-year anniversary, and as uh, Kim Killebrew said, rarely do we get to celebrate something in its 500th year anniversary. Well, we are. The Protestant, when Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg, uh, was October the 31st, 1517, 500 years ago. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to take at least, we're going to take two Wednesday nights beginning this Wednesday, and what you're going to get is a history lesson. So if you don't like history, then don't come. But um, I think you'll find the, is, the history fascinating. Um, it is rich stuff, I think. Um, but that's what I'm going to do tonight, this Wednesday and then one more uh, concerning just the, just the history that led up to this great uh, event that we call the Protestant Reformation. And then on the, 30, on the 29th, which is a Sunday, I'm going to preach on something uh, having to do with justification by faith. So, um, if you're interested in uh, reformational history, church history, um, uh, come be with us Wednesday night, and um, and I, I think you'll find that it's really it's really rather stimulating. I hope. Now to the text, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter twelve, verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings, to, clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God 
that endures forever. And I want to begin this morning just a brief uh, historical note. Um, on, in October of 1974, 43 years ago, I was a senior in seminary, and one of the things that you did as a senior is that they, you, you preached your senior sermon. You preached it before the, um, the faculty, the student body, their wives, and the, um, it was a pretty big crowd. Of, and the senior would get up uh, and preach this sermon. But the text that you preached was uh, chosen for you and assigned to you. And so you preached your senior sermon uh, before the whole everybody uh, um, on a text that was given to you. The text that was given to me is this one. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, so I, I've, I've preached this before, 43 years ago. But uh, it's the same text this morning. It's a different sermon. And I certainly hope the one that you hear today is better than the one that they heard 43 years ago. I want you to notice um, in your text that um, chapter 11 does not end with verse 40. Um, do, Do you see how chapter 12 opens? It opens with the word, therefore. Do you see what the art of the author is doing? The argument or the exhortation that you are about to get in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, this argument, this exhortation is rooted in, it's, um, it's tied to, it's uh, based on all that he has said in chapter 11. Um, these two verses are his application of what he has said earlier in chapter 11. You know, notice, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, there is just no doubt that he has in mind that that cloud of witnesses refers to all these people that he has just mentioned in chapter 11. That's the cloud. That's the cloud of witnesses. They're over here that he's been discussing in all of chapter 11. Uh, and it is their success, and, and when I say success, I mean that they, that they endured to the end. Their success is to, is to be an incentive to us. Um, this thing of enduring to the end, it has been done. Um, it can be done. It was done. By the great cloud of witnesses. So, um, you've got to understand that what he's doing is simply applying uh, in one brief exhortation and rich exhortation uh, that which he has said in chapter 11. Now, I've got to make sure that you understand this before we launch this morning. Um, Listen. I believe in a doctrine called eternal security, and I think so many of you do too. What that doctrine means is that no true child of God will ever be lost. If you have ever been saved, you will never be lost. 
Got it? But guys, the book of Hebrews is not about eternal security. The book of Hebrews, the purpose behind the book of Hebrews is to provide a strong exhortation, um, a, a passionate call to God's people to abide, to persevere, to endure, to run this race to the end, <clears throat> to finish it. No runner is ever rewarded because he just started the race. You got to finish the race. Now, guys, no one but God knows who the real are, even in this room. But eternal security certainly does not mean that God is going to save the apostate. What is that? What is an apostate? Well, that I, at age 11, made some kind of profession and then I turned my back on Jesus soon thereafter. Gang, if you want to know if you are one of those people who can rest in this glorious doctrine of eternal security, then let me ask you a question. Are you running? If you are, then the doctrine of eternal security belongs to you. Can you see in you any evidence that you have entered this race? And though you may not be the fastest or the... the um, the leanest or the, or the most nimble, you can see and you do see evidence that you are chasing after holy things, Christ-likeness. If so, if I do see just shreds of evidence then the doctrine of eternal security is for you. Um, now, with that said, what I have for you today out of this text is um, some instructions, some, some guidelines. We're going to call them rules, rules for racing. They're, right, they're, they're taken right from the text. In terms of this this Christian life that is called here a race, uh, there are some instructions here for us. And um, I want to mention two of them. But before I do, I want you to notice the appeal. Um, it's in verse 1. Here's the appeal. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you see that? Just that is pretty significant, guys, because he's likening the Christian life to a race. 
Um, not a stroll, not a saunter, not a walk on the beach. There's nothing passive about this. The Christian life is one that is energetic. It's uh, vigorous. It's, um, it's active. Um, it's not a, a slap at it. It's not a, a, a pig in a poke. It's not a um, lick and a promise. It's a race. The picture here is one of exertion. It suggests not necessarily speed. It suggests self-discipline. Ladies and gentlemen, may I be the first to inform you Then in the Christian life, you will at times sweat. (laughs) Um, Guys, get this. The word, the Greek word for race is the word agon. You know that English word we got from that? Agony. Do you see any of that in you? Um, I'm not talking about the whole period of your Christian experience, but have you seen or felt any of that agonizing that, that is part and parcel of belonging to Jesus Christ. Gang, trusting in Jesus Christ is not the finish line. It's the starting line. Um, We don't become Christians and then lay down in some flowery bed of ease. Christianity is, is not some series of abstract speculations. But what you're seeing here is having been brought to faith in Christ, the rest of it has to do with exercising some effort towards holy living. Now, do you see any of that in you? Because you must. Don't talk to me about the doctrine of eternal security if you can point to none of that. The doctrine of eternal security is not for you. Um, Now, all of that brings me to the rules of the race. There are two of them. Uh, Number one, we are to run unencumbered. Do you you see what he says? let us lay aside, it's in verse 1, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You see, he's, he's pointing, you, pointing us to certain impediments and he says, unload them. No runner is serious 
who runs in an overcoat. Now we got to take that off. Suppose you were about to, to run the, the St. Jude Marathon and somebody walked up to you at the starting line and offered you a Big Mac. Would you eat it? Well, of course you wouldn't. That's unthinkable. Gang, everything that slows us down is to be dumped. And I want you to notice in the text the specific mention of sin. The author has in mind sin. Our love of certain sins, it gets left at the starting line. Here's how Spurgeon said it. One cannot win heaven and wear sin. Folks, one of the best indicators that I have entered this race at all is the discovery that certain things which previously didn't bother me, they do now. Um, I've discovered that they're a hindrance. And they got to go. I can't do that anymore. That's That's over. Guys, not only that, I I would even go a step further by saying the further that I run, the more weights I discover, the more aware I am of things that are impeding me. And the longer I'm in this race, I discover, oh my goodness, oh my, um, that needs to go too. <laughs> we are to run unencumbered. Guys, listen to me. If you have never seen a need to drop anything to follow Christ, you probably aren't in this race at all. If you've never discarded anything, um, the reason just may be that you're not in this race. If sin is no big deal to you, And you've never met this Savior. Because to him, sin was such a big deal that the only solution that he could find for it was to die for it. Guys, here's the first instruction. We're running unencumbered. We leave all that stuff at the, at the starting line. Have you done that? Any of it? Can you see any of that? Any evidence that, yeah, well, I used to, I don't do that anymore. Oh, and then you know, three years ago, I realized, oh, I can't do it. Hey, do you see any of that? 
We're in a race, folks. And it's to be run unencumbered. All right, here's the second rule that's found right in the text, guys. Um, he says, keep your eyes on the ball. What ball? Jesus. Jesus is the greatest runner of all time. He is the supreme example for racers. Don't look at the cloud of witnesses. Look at him. Um, it is he, Jesus, who becomes a magnet for us. Um, we are to run, and we are told to fix our attention upon Jesus, not Moses, not the law, but Jesus. We look to him as we run so that we can run like him. He is um, he's the great model runner the rest of us runners. Okay, then how did Jesus run, you ask? Well, we're told in the text. He endured the cross and despised the shame. Guys, um, the more I know of his redemptive work on my behalf, the easier it is for me to let go of sin. Um, the more I know of his redemptive work on, on my behalf, the better runner I become. Gang, do you know how to get a sharp, old, rusty knife out of the hand of your 18-month-old? Well, just offer a popsicle. You see, we let go of ugly things when we see beautiful things. There is an expulsive power of a new affection. That's, that, I didn't think of that. That was the title of a sermon. There is an expulsive power to a new affection. Let me say it again, guys. If you've never seen the need to discard any sin, it's because you've never seen the beauty of the Savior. Let me sing it to you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There it is. There's rule number two, sung for you, illustrated in song. So the two rules that are mentioned in this text, I'm sure there's others in the New Testament, the two rules mentioned in this text is um, I run unencumbered and I keep my eyes on the ball. Now let me do one more thing in the text and, and I'm done. I want to show you the motive that Jesus had um, behind his work. It's in the text. Um, I, I want you to see his motive for running. Um, look at it. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, 
endured the cross and despised the shame. There was a joy that was awaiting him at the finish line. What joy? What joy did Jesus not have while in the presence of his Father from all eternity? Now, guys, um, I want to answer that. I want to take a couple of minutes to answer that. But if you've drifted off, come back. I mean, um, if you're half asleep, I don't blame you. But wake up, because you've got to hear this. You've got you've to understand a little bit about the motive for Jesus' running. And I want to explain to you the motive behind Jesus' running, and I want to use three verses to do it, two of which you already know. So we're not even going to look at them, one of which we will. It's in John 10, if you want to start finding it. But here's the first one, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Guys, every time I teach a systematics class, um, somebody raises the issue of John 3.16. They want to argue over John 3.16, which is so unfortunate because what that does is distract you from the enormity of what's being said in John 3.16. They always come to the word world, and they want to they quibble about what the word world means. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. The word world has nothing to do with bigness. It has to do with badness. The word world is not discussing how many. It's discussing how bad, how much, of all things. God loved the world. You know what's in the world? Me and you. This is not about how many. It's about how bad. And once you understand that, then the love of God begins to glow bigger and brighter. For God so loved what? That, full of them, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, God didn't love you because Jesus Christ died for you. God loved you and then he sent Jesus to die for you. For God so loved the world that he You see that? God so loved. Here's the other one that you know. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see it? John 3, 16 has to do with the love of the Father, but then we go to Ephesians 5, 25, and it says, oh, the Son loved. Oh, how about that? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved, what? The church. Guys, have you been around the church very long? Have you been in the church lately? 
of what is the church comprised? A bunch of choir boys? Uh Uh-uh. No, no, no. The church is comprised of people like us. (laughs) Us! You know us! The one so inconsistent, the one so fractured, the one so carnal, the one so material, the one so consumeristic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus died for that. The church. His grand bride. The bride killed the groom. Talking about being unequally yoked. It's Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved. What? The church. People like us. Now, here's the text that you don't know, and I want you to see it. It's in John 10. The theme is the same. It just changes images. We've talked about the world. We've talked about the church. Now, just in, in John 10, you'll notice in verse 16, he's talking about sheep. Now, it's going to talk about sheep. But verse 17, 10, 17 is what I want you to see. Jesus is speaking, and he says this. For this reason, look at this. The Father loves me. Because... I lay down my life. So that I can take it up again. The son is loved by his father. Because he dies for the sheep. He dies for the sheep, the church, the world. (laughs) And here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. The Father so loved the world, the church, the sheep. That he sent his son to die for them. The very ones that killed him. Now, you go back to Hebrews 12. And we're talking about the motive for Christ's running. Here it is. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. Why? What prompted that? What motivated that? What was the motive behind that? For the joy that was set before him. That act of dying is called Jesus' joy. Because Jesus knows that when he finishes his work, he would then be able to give to his Father that thing that his Father so loved You! And then he, 
Christ would be then restored to the full-time presence of his Father. But between that, between being restored to his Father and leaving his home in glory, there was a cross. that was endured. Because of the joy. So dying on that cross became his joy. very ones that killed him he dies for accomplishing the will of his father the father loved them and the son took great joy giving to his father what his father so loved. And that would be you. Brother and sister, keep your eyes on that. And then know this. The sweat. The agony of running this race. Will all be wiped away. Father, it is a privilege that I have to get to tell people about that. And yet it is still the feeble sound of a barking voice trying to do its best to magnify the great love of the Father in sending the Son and the joy of the Son in bringing about the Father's intention requiring him to die in the place of people so undeserving as we are. But God, would you, um, would you enable us to see what so slows us down and get back to the race um, dumping all of those things that impede us. And then fixing our eyes on the great beauty of Christ's finding joy in dying for us. 
do that, Father. And the more we get that into our bloodstreams, the more running this race will be our joy. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, um, might they see him in his great beauty? Um, would you uh, open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind, give life to those who are spiritually dead, so that they might awaken to see what you are offering in the gospel that Jesus saves? We pray all of this, of course, in Jesus' name.